Hi, I'm Jeff Watts, and I wanted to welcome you to the Renaissance Podcast. We are so excited that you have chosen to listen and join with us as we strive to reach the heart of our city with the truth and love of Jesus. And we know that God is doing amazing things in our community, and I am blown away at how many people have told me that Renaissance has provided a place for them to rediscover Jesus. It's given them a caring church family to be a part of, and has helped to transform their lives. If you're one of the men and women who have been encouraged, helped, and strengthened because of what's happening here at Renaissance, then I'd like to ask you to become an investor in what God is doing in our city. And here's one way that you can do that. Go to rendicatororg backslash give and make a commitment to be a part of showing the people of the city of Decatur the truth of Jesus and how much he loves them. Enjoy the podcast and thank you so much for being a part of this community. Good morning. My name is uh, Jack, as the video said, and I'm one of the leaders here at uh, Renaissance, and I specifically spend a lot of my time with the middle schoolers and the high schoolers, um, which is why they're saying, hey, it's Pastor Appreciation Month, and they say uh, my name. And if I can just brag on some of our kids for a second, I guess your kids, my students, we have some awesome teenagers here. Um, if you have never had the opportunity to uh, meet some of them, uh, please, please do, because uh, they, uh, I've been a Christian for a really long time, and they teach me more about Jesus than I can ever teach them. So if I could just brag on them, parents, thank you for all the hard work you put in. Even if you have younger ones or older ones, I, I know sometimes it feels like what you're doing uh, makes no impact on your kid's life, but I can say it does. So keep, keep trying, keep going. And before I preach a totally different sermon, uh, let's, let's go to this uh, that I prepared for you today. Uh, whenever I'm asked to give um, a message that is not part of a series, so sometimes we're going through a book of the Bible or kind of a concept or an idea, uh, whenever I'm asked to just give kind of a, a one-off talk, I just pick a passage from the Bible that I really like and a passage from the Bible that has been sticking out to me in my um, just time of study and prayer. So I'd love to go to one of those uh, passages today. So it's in the book of 2 Samuel. Uh, we're going to start um, in chapter 9. Uh, there, uh, The words will be on the screen, and there's going to be um, a pew Bible. Um, or a pew Bible. Wow, you know that I grew up in church. There's going to be uh, a Bible uh, underneath you in the seat back in front of you. If you want to pull that out, I believe it's page 260. 60 we're going to be in. Um, and as you open there, I, I want to give you some context, some things to understand. Because if you're new to this Christian faith, the story's not going to make a lot of sense if I just kind of run into it. So if you're a note taker, uh, there are three things that you kind of need to know about this passage before we dive in. And the first one is the uh, people originally hearing this story are in this thing called the exile, uh, which is kind of a bible way, a churchy way of saying that um, they are enslaved in another place of the world. What happened is this nation of Babylon has decided we're going to overthrow the nation of Israel. So they march into town and they conquer them. And then what they do is they say, hey, uh, pretty soon they do it in three waves. Uh, pretty soon uh, you're going to have to take everything you own, throw it on your back and walk 1700 miles to Babylon. Now, I'm an outdoorsy guy, but I don't know about you, but 1,700 miles is a long way. I can imagine people died on the way to you know, Babylon. I can imagine people felt one way or another, but here's what we do know, that Babylon was really great at having you forget who you were, because what they would do is they would take you and move you to another part of the world and take another group of people and move them where you lived, and then they made it illegal to pray. They made it, you had to speak a different language, eat different food. What they wanted to do was forget they wanted you to forget where you came from. And everybody in the nation of Israel knew that life was not supposed to be this way. They put their faith and their trust in this really big, amazing 
God. They believe that he created the universe and out of nowhere, they're taken from where they live and thrown into a different nation and they're questioning it. Is life supposed to be this way? I thought that when I trusted God, good things happened. But why is it that when we followed God, bad things are happening in, in our life and they be, they didn't know what to do. And, and I don't know about you, but I see a lot of myself in that story that there are times in my life where I go, I, I thought it was, I thought I was supposed to feel better about this. I thought life was supposed to go better. My, my wife, Nancy, reminded me um, exactly a year ago, October 14th uh, was uh, the day that I left. I walked out of the doors of my last position working at a church. And on paper, I should have loved it. On paper, you know, I was engaged to be married. On paper, you know, it was at a really, you know, great, you know, church with people who were like, were encouraging. You know, I had these friends there. Everything was going right. But there was something in me that went, I, I feel like life should be better. I feel like we're missing out on something. And it's the same thing that the, the people, you know, hearing this story for the first time would have been thinking about it. They would have been going, man, I thought, I thought life, it could be better. Are, are you with me? And, and then there's another thing we need to know that what they would do is they would share stories. Um, and this is kind of how we got the Bible. They had all these written records about this nation that they came from. They begin to take them all together and make, I'm going to say the Old Testament, the Bible split into an Old Testament and a new one. Um, they, they started to take these stories and kind of put them in order. And, and they'd always come back to this one character and his name was King David. You may have heard of him before. And uh, if, if you need anybody to take you out of Babylon, you need King David. Because what they wanted, the stories they would share about this guy would come one day, somebody like King David, and he would like wreck house. Like he would defeat the Babylonians left and right. They needed this warrior guy. So they would share about King David because King David is like a man's man. He's like the kind of guy that when you look at him, you're like, whoa, you definitely like flannel kind of guy. You're like, whoa, like you are really into it uh, kind of guy. (laughs) And totally... I love it. It's great. So, um, but, but that's the idea when you look at King David and, and, and they, they thought he was amazing. There's just one story about King David. Uh, so he is probably um, in middle school or high school. We know he's not over the age of 18. So he's somewhere kind of under that. And uh, what happens is all of his brothers move uh, out of the house and they're on the front lines of this uh, battle against another nation. They're called the Philistines. And this really tall guy, he's about, uh, the, it's in cubits, which is a weird way to put it, but he's probably about eight or nine feet tall and everyone's shaking in their boots because he comes out and he, and this guy, his name is Goliath. He goes, if you can defeat me, We'll, we'll surrender. But if I defeat you, you surrender. And I don't know about you, but a nine foot guy is a little intimidating. So everyone's shaking in their boots and David walks out and he's like, why are you afraid of this guy? And they're like, David, have you seen him? Like he's a huge, he's a huge guy. And he goes, Hey, when you all moved out of the house, I want to tell you a story. So what happened is I was watching the lion. I was watching the lambs in our sheep pen. And one day a lion comes and he grabs the lamb in his mouth and it runs off. One day a bear comes and it grabs it in its mouth and it runs off. And I went after it and I chased it down and I defeated the, the bear and the lion with my hands. And if it turned in, it attacked me. And it literally says this, I would grab it by the beard and slay it with my hand. And now I don't want to be dramatic. Okay. I really don't want to be dramatic, but I, I spent a lot of time with middle schoolers and high schoolers. 
the only thing middle school boys are slaying with their hands are Doritos and Mountain Dew. Like there's like, there's nothing they're slaying with their hands. And David's like, oh yeah, I showed up and I ran down this lion in this bear and I ran after it and I killed it with my, you know, bare hands, second amendment style. And I'm like, that's fine. You're defeated kind of thing. And they would share about this guy because if you needed anybody to save you, it's David. And then he knew how to get back at his enemies. There's this uh, story that we're really not going to get into, but what happens is uh, David is running for his life and somebody kind of double crosses him. Um, and he, uh, we have a lot of his recorded kind of prayers down um, in this book of the Bible called the Psalms. And I, I want to read one. Uh, he says, you, and he's praying to God, he says, you will destroy their descendants from the earth and their offspring from among the children of man. He's like, hey, when you double cross me, I don't only want God to smite you, but your children and your children's children. And he's like, whoa, dude, like, like that's a little aggressive, like kind of idea. But, but before I like throw stones at David, there was just one time in high school. Cause like we've all, we've all prayed not for God to like hurt someone, but like, if you can just like give him a bad day. Like, you know what I mean? Like, like, like nothing bad. So when I, when I was in high school, uh, we learned last uh, time I got on the stage, I wasn't a good student. I never did my homework. And what happened is I was driving to school. I was a junior and I had a pre-calc test that I had to do. And I'm not a good student. So I'm praying in the car. God, if you would just have like my car, like my teacher's car, like break down or something, that'd be great. Like not, like not anything bad, like their engine blows or their transmission, just like their battery. That would be great. And I'm like driving to school. And do you know, do you know what happened? Nothing, because it doesn't work like that. Like, like, <laughs> like, like I, don't, I don't think when we pray for that, God's like, totally. I think, I think if, if I can be in God's shoes for a moment, I think he would just shake his head at me. Like, dude, like, really? Like, do you get that? Um, and then David prays another time. He says, you made my enemies turn their backs to me. And those who hated me, I destroyed. And it says later in this prayer, he writes that he takes their bones and grinds them to dust and throws it into the wind. And this dude is hardcore. Like this dude, like that's, if I'm an enemy of David, I'm terrified of him. Like he's not like, I will not only run down lions and bears and kill them with my bare hands. I will also run you down and kill you with my bear. Like he's so impressive. And there's another thing we really need to know about David. There's this, um, literally a page before in uh, the story we're going to read from, there's this moment where uh, David, uh, someone comes to him and says, God has given me a message for you. In, in the Bible, it, it is written that um, David is a man after God's own heart. Um, and what it says um, is, um, this is in verse 12 of uh, chapter 7 of 2 Samuel. You can literally flip the page, I guess, one towards it. Um, and God says to David, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up from your offspring after you, one who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. What God is saying is, David, one day you're going to die. But from your family, I'm going to raise up somebody that will take on your kingdom. And then later we're going to jump down to verse 16. It says, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. What God is telling David in this moment is when this guy comes, this person from your family, his kingdom is going to last forever and ever. So what they would do, uh, the people originally hearing the stories, they would uh, share stories about David because they believed someone would come like King David to defeat their enemies who would come and I, I don't want to say free them, but make life the way that they thought it would be. 
God. And here's the third thing about David's kingdom. It did not come easy. Um, David was anointed king. That's a church way of saying someone came and said, you're king now. Um, and it's like this like big religious thing, but he's anointed king uh, while his predecessor, King Saul, is still on the throne. And I'm going to you know, go through the story with a very broad brushstroke. Saul didn't like that. He was like, whoa, now, like you can't, you can't just decide that you're king. So he tries to end up killing David. And David, for a lot of his life, is on the run from King Saul. But what happens right before he goes on the run is he goes to King Saul's son, Jonathan. And they make a, a covenant, which is a lifelong promise, that they would look out for each other's families no matter what. Whatever happened to your family, Jonathan, or whatever happens to my family, David, we're going to look out for each other's families. And that's a crazy thing to say, because whenever one king would kind of come into town, so if David actually became king, he had to kill everybody of Saul's family because they're a political threat. What can happen is someone will go, hey, I'm actually the rightful king, so I'm going to come and overthrow you. So what you would do is you would kill everybody. So they're kind of like, wait, that's a little weird, David, but like maybe you're just a nice guy kind of idea. But but his throne didn't come easily. After this promise, he runs for a very long time from King Saul. And um, King Saul and his son, uh, Jonathan, end up dying in a battle. And there's this uh, big changing of hands in a, a civil war. And David comes out on top and he kind of restores the peace. And I can imagine he's missing his friend, Jonathan. Um, for some reason, it says that they deeply loved each other. Um, and on a total side note, if you don't have friends... Um, that'll stick with you through thick and thin, uh, like David would do for Jonathan or Jonathan for David, um, I'd say find some. Because um, they, they will change your life if you have friends like that. Um, and sometimes people are waiting for somebody to be that friend. Uh, so if you don't have friends like that, maybe turn into that friend um, and, and reach out to people in that way. Um, but I can imagine David is missing his friend, Jonathan. And this is where we pick up in uh, the book of 2 Samuel chapter 9. But before we really dive in, I want to pray for us um, that God would speak to you. I, th I think God can speak to us. Um, I, I believe that. So I want to pray that God would speak to you, um, and then we will, we will take it from there. Uh, Father, thank you uh, for you. Uh, thank you that you, um, you care for us, that you love us. Uh, would you speak to us in this time? Would you have all my words be as clear as possible? Please speak through me. Um, but Lord, we love you and help us uh, to love you more. Amen. So the very uh, first verse, it says, and David, remember, this is the king. He says, is there still uh, anyone left of the house of Saul that my, I might show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And everyone hearing this would have like, like kind of like picked their eyes up real quick. They would be like, wait, 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 wait. Now, David, you're king. Before when you made that promise, it was just because you wanted to be nice, but you're, you're supposed to kill everybody, Saul's family. And then remember the people in the exile, they're waiting for someone like David to come and come with a sword and, you know, I don't say start killing people left and right, but they want someone to free them from their slavery. They want someone to free them from, you know, this oppression that they're in. When David says, is there anyone left that I can show kindness to? That's my enemy. They're like, no, 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 David, David, David. I can imagine it's one of those things if you're a parent where you invite your kid real close to you and you're like, listen to me, like follow me on this. You don't do that. But David, he starts to show a different way. He says, is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I might show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? 
Now there was a servant of the house of Saul, that's the old king, um, whose name was Ziba. And all you need to know about this guy is he's going to know if anyone's left. Um, so his name was Ziba. And they called him to David. And the king said, are you Ziba? And he says, bet. Like, I'm, I'm Ziba. Totally. Um, I'm your servant. Uh, and the king said, is there still not someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? And then the people hearing this would have been like, whoa. Even David's officials would have been like, whoa. You, David, this isn't how the world works. When somebody wrongs you, you get back at them. When somebody gets you frustrated or angry, you know, you, you lay back into them. And I, I, I want to act like this doesn't happen in the world. Um, but I was just telling somebody, I, I grew up kind of close to New York City. So I'd be in New York City traffic a lot. So I, I used to have to uh, drive. It was about 40 miles from uh, where I worked to where I go. And a lot of people here, you know, that's to Springfield or Bloomington or Champaign. And it takes you 45 minutes. It would take me an hour and 45 minutes. I know it was me. I had to do that drive every day. It was so much. And it was back and forth both ways. And you see something happen in people when you're stuck in New York City traffic every single day. So there's one day that I'm driving and this guy is trying to get somewhere and there's nowhere to go. You know, there's no moving. And he cuts me off and I get kind of mad, but I'm like, Jack, you want, you want to be a good Christian guy. Don't, don't do it but I want to get back at him. I do. I do. And then, uh, so I hit the brakes and the person next to me hits their brakes. Cause this guy just cut me off. And then he cuts that person off. And this person may not have been a Christian. <laughs> so, and, and, uh, my mom listens to all the podcasts that come out, uh, that we do at Renaissance. Um, so because my mother will listen to this, I will choose to use words that she'll approve of. Cuts him off, and he, uh, this guy who's angry, rolls down his window and goes, hey, you, and then the guy rolls his window down and goes, and then they do that back and forth for each other. He was laying into him, and I'm like, get him. You got this, man. Keep going. And Because and we want to get back at people when they wrong us, and it's not in this way like, God, I want you to like slay my enemies, but when someone wrongs us, we want to wrong them. Like, gosh, look at social media. Like someone says one thing that we, it's not even we disagree with, we just think it could have been put differently and we're like chewing them out and trying to get the upper hand on them or, you know, maybe at work you work on this team of people and you have that one coworker and you already know who I'm talking about, that one coworker who's just, you just think about them and something in you is like, oh, if they could just not ever come to work. <laughs> That'd be amazing. And, and it's not that we like sit down with our boss and we're like, hey, if you can like fire them. But what we'll do is we'll do small little things to maybe just get the upper hand on them. So say if it's, you know, it's us and them for that presentation, you're like, oh, I'll do it because maybe they'll like me more. Maybe it's this. We, we want to get the upper hand on people. When someone wrongs us, we want to wrong them. Um, and I, I think that's just a really natural thing that um, we like to do as humans. It's, it's, just, it's just part of us. When someone wrongs us, we just want to get back at them. Um, but, but what happens, and uh, we're going to kind of fast forward through uh, verse, um, verse 4 and 5. They find this guy, um, and it says that he's uh, crippled in his um, feet, that he's this lame guy, and his name is Mephibosheth. I'm not going to ask you to repeat that. I thought about it, but I feel like whenever anybody says Mephibosheth, someone should be like a Gazuntite, you know, kind of thing. Uh, when you do it, so they find this guy named uh, Mephibosheth, Gazuntite, and they bring him uh, to David. Um, and here's what you need to know about Mephibosheth: He's crippled in his feet, and another translation puts it that he is lame. 
And boy, I think I'm lame a lot of the time. Like when I think about my life, and I don't mean that in like a funny kind of like a quippy way. Like I think when I look at my life, I see a lot of things that I'm not good enough at or things that I'm struggling with. Like, man, if I can just be a little bit funnier or a little bit smarter, or if, if I can just do this a little bit better, I think life would work out for me. And I think when we really boil down life for a lot of people, a lot of us are there. We kind of feel lame. And, and I don't even mean that in like this, this sad, hard way, but we just go, man, if I could just be a little bit better at this, maybe life would go back. Maybe life would be better for me. Maybe it'd go back to the way that it was supposed to be. And they don't even name this guy Mephibosheth. When, when they uh, first say, is there anybody that can show kindness to, they just go, yeah, this guy, he's crippled. He's Jonathan's son. Imagine that's all somebody knew about you, that you were lame. Ah, I, I feel for this guy. Um, but they, they take him and they, they bring him uh, to King David. Um, he's hiding in the middle of nowhere. It's this kind of like desert city where not a lot goes on. And um, they throw him in front of David. And I can imagine he's terrified because he doesn't know this promise that David made with, Jonathan, with his dad, Jonathan. They don't know that, that David made this promise that, do you know what? We're always going to show kindness to each other. No matter what happens, we're always going to forgive each other's families, no matter what happens. He doesn't know this. And he's been in hiding for a really long time in his life. And they throw him in front of David. And I can imagine, you know, he jumps on the ground and he's, he can't say, forgive me, because then the king will kill him for that. He's just, he's just shaking in his boots. And then David names him. In verse 6, it says, that, it says and Mephibosheth, Gazuntite, the son of Jonathan, Son of Saul came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold, I'm your servant. And David said, Do not fear. Don't fear. For I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. And I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall always eat at my table. he wants to tell him, I'm not going to kill you because he doesn't know that. But I think in an even bigger kind of taking a step back from the passageway, um, you don't need to fear. Um, well, life may have fallen apart. It may not be the way that you hoped it would be, but, but do not fear. Do not fear. I was talking to somebody not long ago uh, this week, and they are petrified um, that their kids are making poor friends, and it's going to hurt them in the long road. And, and the message for them is do not fear. Um, I was talking to somebody else. They're getting terrible news from the doctor. Um, they, they might have cancer, and um, they're going to get uh, the diagnosis later this week. And, and the message I have for them is do not fear. Do not fear. Trust in God. You could actually give him that control. I think a lot of times when we're afraid, we try to grab on to life and try to buckle down that we can change anything, but we, we can't change anything. We're, we're powerless to do that, but, but trust in God. Do not fear. Because that's the message that King David has for Mephibosheth. He says, hey, I, I know you think that I'm going to kill you because I have every right. I'm the king. No one would bat their eye if I slayed you right now. But I don't kill my enemies. I show kindness to them. Do not fear. And then he 
begins to restore everything that belongs to Mephibosheth. He begins to restore everything that he lost. Because remember, if King Saul is the king and he has a son named Jonathan, who's the firstborn, and he has a son named Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth is the heir to the throne. He is supposed to get everything. And King David goes, I'm not only going to forgive you, I'm going to give you everything that is rightfully yours. Do not fear. I love you and I care for you. And this would have made the blood boil from the people in exile. They would have been like, David, are you? I sound, that sounded like a pouty kid in that moment. <laughs> like, I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I sound like a, like a really like, like mom. But they'd be like, David, are you, are you joking? Are you kidding? When, when you come, when someone like you comes, when God promised you kill our enemies, you don't come and forgive them. No, we are enslaved. Don't you see? We're suffering. You don't love your enemy, you get back at them. And they wanted this warrior king that would come with a sword. And, and, and I don't want to say that they, they forgot about the passage. I, I think they just missed the point. Because a, a whole many years later, 600 in fact, when Jesus comes, he begins to teach people this same message. There's a different way that the people of God, people who follow Jesus, that they live. They don't get back at their enemies. They're patient and they're gentle with them. They're compassionate and they are kind. They don't, they don't get back at them. And what happens is there's this uh, really big moment where Jesus is teaching people. It's called the Sermon um, on the Mount. Um, I'm just going to flip to it. If, um, it'll be on the screen for you to go to. So this is in Matthew chapter 5. And this is when Jesus begins to really just teach people what it means. Hey, if you follow me, this is how you're going to live. If you follow me, this is just what your day-to-day -day life is going to look like. If you've never read the Bible before, Matthew chapter 5 and 6 are great places to start because they're going to teach you how to follow Jesus. And what happens is Jesus, he says in Matthew chapter five, verse 43 says, you've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Um, I couldn't have planned this even if I wanted to. Some people think that, um, I'm going to say at least that I have a, a clue. I didn't plan on taking what Joe and Jeff have been talking about and taking it a step further. But two weeks ago, Jeff talks about out of the book of Galatians, Hey, we're going to learn to love our neighbors. Um, and what that looks like. And then Joe comes in, he brings in this passage. Someone goes to Jesus and he goes, well, who is my neighbor? Because if I can say someone's not my neighbor, I don't have to love them. We learn that our neighbor is everybody. And I realize that God's putting in my heart, we're not just going to love our neighbors. Jesus says, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. When someone wrongs you, you don't get back at them you pray that God would use you to change their life. And this is a hard message. I, I get that because that coworker that I talked about earlier, kind of funny, um, they're hard to deal with. You know, that family member who you haven't spoken to in years because of this family drama that deeply, deeply hurt you, that's painful. I don't want to say love your enemy and just run away from it. I get that this is a hard message. But I think if we're going to take the next step from love your neighbor, we're going to start to love our enemies. And, and we have a lot of enemies. Maybe not in this exile way where we're oppressed people and we want someone to come with a sword. Um, but we have a lot of people that we disagree with. I don't know what side of the political aisle you stand on, but it seems like a lot of people are upset. 
And I hope we can learn to love our enemies. There's a lot of people that live different lifestyles than you and I, um, even in like small ways. Like I'm, I'm, I'm not a parent, but I, I see parents get really hot and steamy when one parent says something and they say another thing and it's just a little different. Um, I hope we can work through that. Um, they're just people we disagree with um, or they're just the worst. Um, they just rub us the wrong way. I hope we can learn to love our enemies. Um, because here, here's what I know. Um, when Jesus, he, he teaches people, he says, hey, learn to love your enemy. And then he ends up dying for them. Um, and, and, here, and here's... Um, Here's the thing. I think his disciples miss this message too. Because when Jesus dies on the cross, and I don't want to run by that, but he, he dies on the cross and he's risen from the dead. Uh, in the beginning of the book of Acts, his disciples come to him and they're like, hey, Jesus, is now when you're going to come and like put us back? Like, are, is now when you restore the kingdom of Israel? Because like we still got Rome on us at the time. Like we still got people bringing us down. And then there's an, another um, spot where it's in uh, the the gospel of Luke, they're walking to this road to this town called Emmaus. And Jesus is talking to two people who don't recognize him yet. They were followers of his and um, they're kind of heartbroken. They thought that Jesus would be somebody else. And one of them says, I thought he was the one that would restore the kingdom. I thought, I thought Jesus was the one that would be, be like King David. I thought, I thought he was the one that he would be the, the, the better David, that when he came, he would free us from everything and he would do this and he would do that. And I, if I can just stand in the place of Jesus for a second, that might be a little weird for some of you. I think Jesus would say, we don't get back on our enemies. We love them. Because here's what I know. Before I gave my life to Jesus, I was an enemy of his. And, and that sounds a little offensive and a little mean, but there's this reality that when we um, haven't given our life to Jesus yet, the, the Bible says we are an enemy of, of God. <laughs> But there's a promise that God gives specifically to the enemies of God. He says, I love you. When you are God's enemy, he looks at you and he says, I don't get back at you. I love you. So I think Jesus would look at them and go, no, 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 no. We don't kill our enemies. We don't get back at them. We don't yell at people in traffic. We love them. And, and I'm, I'm a, a, a process guy, so I love to have like, hey, here's three things you do after this. And I, I know that this is hard and this is difficult, but if you're wondering, how, how can I do that? How can I learn to love people that I totally disagree with? How can I learn to love people who have wronged me, who have hurt me? I, I would say two things. One, allow God to change your heart. Um, again, we're, we're powerless to, to change much. Um, I, I, I wish that we could change things, but I know that I'm not. Allow God to change your heart. But I, I think a really practical thing is it's really hard to dislike somebody that you know really well. And what I mean by that is that you're empathetic with. So get to know their story. When I was in college, there was this uh, friend that we had um, who kind of struggled through college um, and he wasn't a very good student. And what would happen is at around 1130 every night before we had a test, he would open my door. And I don't know how he had that ability to do that, but I feel like the door would open and he would ask me all these questions about how to do this and how to do that. And I don't know what's going on and his life would be falling apart. And I remember I wanted to avoid him. I remember I wanted to sprint the other way when he walked through the door, but I, I couldn't because he's in my room. But also what, what I did is I said, man, I, I don't want to hate him. I want to love him. I, I just tried to get to know him in his story. 
And I learned so much about him. And it's really hard to dislike him when I know him. It's really hard to hate my enemy when I, I, I know what it's like to be in their shoes, or at least I see their perspective. And don't get me wrong, this doesn't mean that you throw everything that you disagree with away and it's perfect and wonderful. It, it means that you're going to try to work through it and love them either way. And zooming back into our, our story in um, 2 Samuel um, chapter 9, um, I don't think Mephibosheth believes this. I think it's too good to be true for him. Because he says in verse 8, David says all these things, don't fear, I'm going to show you kindness, I'm going to love you, I'm going to take care of you, you'll always eat at my table. Um, And it says, and he, Mephibosheth, paid homage, he bows down and he says, what is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? Apparently he thinks he's lame too. That life was supposed to be better and it wasn't for him. And when the king looks at him, when King David comes and he says, hey, I'm I'm not going to actually get back at you. I'm not going to wrong you. I'm not going to kill you. I'm actually going to love you. I think he's going, are you joking? Are you kidding me? It's not supposed to work that way. That's not the way the world works. And and King David goes, I'm going to look right by that. And I'm going to do everything I said I was going to do. But again, I see a lot of myself in Mephibosheth. I think it's too good to be true that God loves me. Like if I can take a, a step back, we believe here that, that Jesus somehow, some way was in, he created the universe, the, the world and everything we see that he holds the, the keys to life and to death. He can heal us whenever he chooses to. This Jesus who died on a cross died for me. I think that's too good to be true more than that. Cause half the time when I'm praying and I'm seeking God, I'm going like, I know you love me, but like, Really? Like, this is too good to be true. You really love me? And I think the message of King David is the same message that God has. Um, What happens is, um, I'll summarize uh, verses 9 through 12. Uh, David does everything he said he would. He looks at Mephibosheth and he says, I'm going to give you your land back. You're going to eat at my table. I'm going to love you. Um, I would say that he treats Mephibosheth like a son for his friend, Jonathan. And it ends and it says, verse 13, so Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem for he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both of his feet. Um, I'm going to invite the band to come back. Um, if they're not hiding behind the um, thing already. Um, but but he, here's, here's what I know. Um, whether you believe it or not, whether you think you're good enough or not, whether life doesn't seem like it's working or not, I think God would look at you and say, whether you believe it, I love you so much. I love you so much much. Whether you're lame, whether anything has been done to you, I really care for you. Because God's kingdom, it has a different ethic. Um, In our world, we're told that when someone wrongs you, you get back at them. Um, You you yell at them, you get the upper hand, you beat them down. Um, 
But the kingdom of Jesus, the kingdom of God, it shows a different way. And I know it doesn't make a lot of sense. It's really countercultural. It's kind of weird. It's kind of odd. But I think if we're going to be faithful to, um, to what Jesus is asking us to do as his followers, we're going to love our enemies, people that rub us the wrong way. And, and I think Jesus gives us the greatest example. He not only forgives his enemy. He not only looks at Mephibosheth and says, you're forgiven, you can eat at my table. He steps in his place and he goes, yeah, you are worthy of death. Yeah, you are my enemy. You're supposed to die, but I'm actually going to die for you. Because I love you, because I care about you. So if you've never given your life to Jesus and you, uh, you would say that you might be an enemy of God, know that there's a promise that he is crazy about you. He loves you so much. And if you've been in this Christian thing for a while, you've gone, old news, man, um, let's find some people to love. Um, my hope is that we can start being known not for what we're against, not for the people we disagree with, not for hatred or getting back at people, but we can be known for people that love our enemies and that do that well. Um, what I want to do is I, I want to pray for us. Um, then we're going to go back into a time of uh, worship. That's just telling God how cool and how great we think he is. Um, for some people, they think it's appropriate to stand and sing really loud. For some people, they think it's appropriate to stay seated and think about the words. I invite you to do what you feel like you need to do. So let me pray for us, um, and then we'll, we'll go back to worship. Father, thank you for um, this time. Um, thank you that you, um, thank you that you're sent to your son to give us um, such a great message that we don't kill our enemies, we love them. Uh, and you love all of us um, while we were your enemies. Father, help us to um, just show kindness and compassion to people, um, and um, just, um, yeah, we love you. In your very precious name. Amen. Um, if you want someone to pray for you and talk to God on your behalf, I know praying is a little weird. We have a, a prayer room and we have people scheduled to, to do that with you and for you. You can just go straight out the back to the right um, and they would love to do that. But if you would stand, um, if you feel like you need to stand um, and worship with us, that would be great. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Together we can reach the heart of Decatur. And if you'd like to be a part of that, go to rendicator.org backslash give and make a commitment to be a part of showing the people of the city of Decatur the truth of Jesus and how much he loves them.